The world is a new place, and we're all making adjustments. It moves faster and changes direction more frequently than ever before. People feel stuck, unfulfilled, and lost in their lives. I hear this all too often. Where are the answers? Someone please just give me the answers. Well, what if I told you the answers are finally here? My name is Scott McDonald, and I was once just like you. Join me on my process of personal development, pathway of success, and pursuit of happiness. For you see, my job isn't just to ask questions. My job isn't to just listen. My job is to ensure what happened to me does not happen to you. This is Scott McDonald with the Real Experience Student Athlete Podcast. Today I'm joined with, by uh, Candace Karunas, who is a former Windsor Lancer student athlete hockey player, current minor league hockey coach in Toronto with the Etobicoke Dolphins Hockey Girls Hockey Club, and also a scout for the Windsor Lancers. Candace has been a former student athlete and now currently works with Canland Ice Sports, continuing on her career in sports management. Candace, it's great to see you. It's great to have you back on the show here. Thanks for having me. Nice seeing you too. It's been a while, eh? I know. I'm a little, I've got like a Conan O'Brien hair flip happening right now because I haven't got a haircut in a few days, so it's all good. I I feel you. I might just cut my own hair at this point. Just building my brand, that's all. (laughs) So what's going on in your world? This whole COVID-19 thing just won't seem to go away and uh, we're all making adjustments. So uh, how's things been on your end? They've been okay. Yeah, definitely. Uh, definitely a big adjustment for sure, especially uh, not having sports. And uh, I think the, um, the biggest adjustment has been uh, kind of the, the sudden stop to, to hockey and, and, and minor hockey uh, specifically. Um, I feel for all the teams that uh, were on their way to provincials and lower lake championships and they didn't get a chance to go. But uh, yeah, definitely it's been, uh, it's been a little bit tough, but uh, I, I'm hoping there's a light at the end of the tunnel soon because I can tell you I miss, uh, I miss the game. I miss being involved in it for sure. So we'll see where this all goes. You know, it's funny. I was talking to parents uh, about a week or two after this whole self-isolating thing happened. And uh, when I would see them at the arena, they'd be, oh, I can't wait till the season's over. I just need a break, blah, blah, blah. And then a week into self-isolation, they said, all I want to do is go back to the rink and watch my kid play hockey. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's funny because I, uh, so I coached two teams uh, this year, obviously, and I was kind of in the same mindset where you're so drained um, you know, come the last few weeks of the season and all you're looking forward to is, is uh, the spring season and summer and, you know, nice weather and all that kind of stuff and wishing and hoping for that break. But uh, this was not the break that, uh, that we all hoped for, but uh, yeah, it did kind of hit you like a, like a ton of bricks right in your face, right? It just all of a sudden, you know, a quick stop. And, and now we're wondering, are we ever going to get back to the hockey season? Right. So I don't know. It's a, it's a big adjustment. And uh, I think in terms of, you know, how teams are going to develop next year, I think, I don't want to say that it is a blessing in disguise, but it kind of is with regards to, you know, hockey Canada pushing the season back and when tryouts were going to be and stuff like that. So I'm curious to see how they're going to approach uh, the start of the season once this, this all comes to an end. Yeah, it is going to be interesting, especially for coaches who made those early commitments and I know everyone was making a big deal when the NCAA was making early commitments to players, you know, between grades seven and nine, a couple of years ago, 
um, with, you know, full academic or full athletic scholarships. Um, and now it's one of those things where coaches in the fall will have their tryouts and maybe some of those commitments they're going to be questioning. And there's going to be some players who, you know, grew several inches or took their at home training more seriously. And, <laughs> and all these other people who just thought, you know, like I have, you know, I got a, I'm secure. I got a free ride. Um, you know, they're going to maybe be, you know, not, you'd hope that they'd have that kind of, uh, they keep their word on their commitments, but at the same time, you do know there's going to be the odd athlete who's pushed out of that program now because, you know, six, seven months later, it's, it just didn't work out. And that's, that's the crazy thing. Six or seven months. Like this isn't like a long time. (laughs) This isn't just like, Hey, we, you know, we take the summers off. This is uh, we're taking a few seasons of life off here. (laughs) Right. Yeah. No, I know. I, uh, being a coach myself, I, I don't want to say it's it's expected where you know players are going to back out or whatever the case is they might have second thoughts but I think um it's it's really going to test the coaches that do have players back out on them and it's it's I almost feel like we're going to see a true season next year where you know we're, whether or not we have tryouts in September I don't know depending on when this is all over but uh, there's there's really going to I guess spots are going to open up for players and, and I almost feel like teams are, are going to be on the same level because nobody is on the ice now. And I think we're going to go the whole summer where, you know, players are doing the best they can off the ice to get ready for the season. And then once we do get back on the ice, everyone's kind of going to be on the same playing field. So I'd be curious to see how it goes. And it's definitely going to be a big adjustment for coaches that do have players back out on them, but I guess it is what it is, right? We've never seen anything like this before. So I think everyone's kind of just going to take it day by day once we do get back on the ice. It's like a traditional hockey cycle too, because you'll be given, you know, you'll have your one week training camp probably after tryouts where you might have three or four practices and that's your way of getting back in shape. And then it's full force. So it's kind of like we're back in the 1980s. You really don't realize what you have until it's gone. And, you know, we take the the gyms and the skill sessions for granted and the, you know, the off season programs. And now it's like, okay, you know, what's the accelerator to this now to get back? You know, right, it, right. It'll, be, it'll be interesting too, because there might be those kids who just, you know, they were committed to a team, whether it's a double a select, whatever it is. And then come back and, you know, be like, ah, you know what? I'm 14. I'm 15. Kind of want to do this now. You know, they might have developed okay. something like that. So it's going to be a bit of a, you know, coaches are going to have to get creative for sure. If, they, if those, you know, circumstances get thrown at them in a, in a few months from now. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> so you're a former player. What would you be doing if you were still playing at this time? Like, you, you know, you played double A hockey growing up your whole life in Markham, you know, playing for Windsor Lancers. What would you be doing right now? So we'll start with the minor side. If you're playing minor hockey, you're trying to get noticed. What would you be doing right now to be more, even more noticeable when you come back, say six months later after this whole thing kind of hopefully, you know, blows out? Definitely, I think the off-ice portion, especially in the summer, is where you're going to notice the biggest difference in your game. Um, You're on the ice less. Yeah, you know, if this was a normal scenario, you would be on the ice occasionally throughout the summer. But uh, the off-ice, I think, is uh, is what's really going to matter. When I was playing, I would typically spend summers working out, getting bigger, faster, stronger, and then also paying close attention to my nutrition and making sure that you know I'm, I'm not going crazy with all the ice creams and all that kind of stuff that you like to eat in the summer but uh, definitely paying close attention to the nutrition and working out and 
not being lazy. I know it's really hard to, to get away from, you know, putting in the work and, and, and getting stronger and getting faster and, and all that kind of stuff, especially in the summer when you want to hang out with friends and stuff like that. But uh, I think paying close attention to that and then come winter time when the season does start, you will find yourself at a different level compared to those that didn't do, do the workout in, uh, in the summer. So I think really focusing on those three things, bigger, faster, stronger, is going to make you better in the winter. Because come winter time, you're not necessarily trying to get bigger. Or you're, not necessarily, you're just trying to maintain, right? You don't necessarily see players going for personal bests or anything like that um, with regards to weight training and all that stuff. You're just maintaining what you built in the summer. Uh, so I think it's really important to build that core foundation in the summer which carries over into the winter and then just maintain all of that and obviously as the season goes on um you know teams start to get to start to get better and, and more specifically individual players start to get better as they play against better players um so i think just making sure what you built in the summer um you know you kind of carry through throughout the winter um and then even in the winter time what what will i guess differentiate yourself from another player is all that work that you put into the summer but also even reaching out to, to universities yourself right I did a lot of um, a lot of my own research and you know googling coaches googling schools that maybe I'd be interested in and, and you know kind of just drop in a line saying hey you know I'm I, I play for this team blah 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 I'm interested or potentially interested in your program in your school here's my schedule stuff like that um, but I think the main the main thing would be work your butt off in the summer so that you can get where you want to get come winter time. Yeah. And it was, it was interesting that um, you, you mentioned that too, because uh, Kim McCullough was on a few weeks ago and she said in this circumstance, your goal should just be, you know, come back in September, October, whenever that is when the season starts and just have one or two things that are noticeably better where everyone's like, wow, that person really put that work in. And all of a sudden, this is like, you know, you're a standout in something that you weren't, a, that you were already a standout in or not a standout in. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that was, that's really important when it comes to, you know, networking with other coaches out there. And I think that's something that student athletes have a problem with. They don't think that the people at the high level want to help. And they do. Like, the, the, there's a reason why their emails and phone, and phone numbers are on those teams' websites. Like, how, how proactive do you think right now is, the, is you know, athletes should be right now and con con uh, connecting with those strength coaches, those, you know, head coaches or assistant coaches, just to kind of, you know, get a bit more advice on, uh, on what they're, what they should be doing or what, or what should be expected, you know, if uh, in another year or two, when they do want to go off to university. I don't think it's, there's never a bad time. I, I think in my opinion to, to start reaching out, um, especially now that girls are kind of coming towards the end of their minor hockey career, whether they're in grade nine, 10, 11, high school, whatever it is. Um, it's, it's never a bad idea to kind of put yourself out there and, and be on a coach's radar. The same thing with, you know, if, if you're employed in the, in the workforce, whatever job you do, and you're looking for a new job, it's never a bad idea to, to kind of put yourself out there and see what's open, see what's available. Same thing with hockey. I think if you have aspirations to play university, uh, whether that's here in Canada or in the U.S. I think a good thing, obviously, would be to reach out to the coaches, but see what your options are. Take the time now in the summer, especially now that, you know, there's not much going on because of the virus. Take the time now to see what you want, no matter how old you are, because that may change. You might be in grade nine right now, and, you know, you might think you want to go to university, but then you play the next three, three or four years, and, you know, that may change. 
Um, so it, it, it definitely does, you know, take a little bit of time, a little bit of research to, to look at what your options are and kind of what might interest you. But with regards to reaching out to coaches um, or scouts, whatever's on the, on the team's website, never a bad idea. Um, you always want to be on, on, uh, on someone's radar. There's so many players out there and there's so many good players out there that are getting looked at. So if you're not on someone's radar, it's going to be difficult for you uh, to get looked at. So definitely, um, you know, begin reaching out, um, making yourself known, put videos together. If you have videos of yourself playing hockey or, or whatever type of sport you're playing, um, just to kind of show that you're versatile, but uh, definitely start reaching out and start selling yourself. Now you went from being a double A player um, straight to university where, you know, you were with an association that had a junior team at the time, but you did a different pathway. Um, you know, what made you successful from, you know, being a double A hockey player all the way up in Ontario and still getting that opportunity to play in youth sports at the University of Windsor? I'm going to go back to the point I mentioned about kind of taking the summer to get better. For me, every summer I wanted to get better and I saw myself like when I was in peewee I, I played boys hockey up until uh I believe peewee um I played one year of peewee and then I made the transition in my last year of peewee um but I noticed myself getting better and that was because of the of the summer workouts if I had not done those workouts I don't know maybe I wouldn't wouldn't be where I am now but I think kind of having a goal and sticking to that goal for me, I always wanted to continue to play regardless, whether that was here, whether that was in the U S I, I know I wanted to play when I was in the, in university. Um, so for me, I think I just continued to put the work in, um, continue to get better, continue to eat right. And then I saw that translate in my game. Um, and I think for me, being able to to kind of do well at the double A level, I did get I did get it like a PW opportunity, um, but I was very very comfortable at the double A level, and I think for for me, I figured out what was right for me, and because of that, I was able to kind of make my way into into university, um, and and obviously that wouldn't have happened without all the hard work and whatnot that I had put into the summer and then the winter season as well, but uh, I think making that transition from minor hockey to university was a little bit tough. Um, Cause obviously on the hockey side of things, the girls are so much bigger and they're better than what you're used to playing with. Uh, but even on the academic side of things, it was pretty tough to balance both school and practice. Cause you're practicing like four or five times a week and then you have games twice a week. Right. Um, so it was a, uh, it was a little bit challenging my first, uh, my first two years trying to balance that. Um, but honestly, I think, you learn as you get older and, and I matured a lot. And one of the reasons I went to Windsor was because I wanted to um, kind of get away from home and live on my own and grow up and, and, and really mature. And I, I did, I, I'd like to think I matured, but uh, it really kind of, um, it, it forces you to grow up quick um, in my opinion, but making that jump from, uh, from minor hockey to university, uh, it, it was a little bit tough, but I think, having all put in, put in all that work in the summer kind of prepared me to, for it to be a little bit of an easier transition. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those things where I find uh, the athletes, you know, that they'll say like, yeah, I, I do all this stuff in the off season. I do all this training, but like you said, having a goal, you know, 
making your training purposeful. That's something that Dan Lichterman touched on. Um, this course that I'm doing uh, with London Real, they talked about going micro with your goals and micro with what you want to do. So don't just say, I want to get strong. Say, okay, well, I want to be you know, the strongest on my team. And okay, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to do it by doing X, Y, and Z. And I want to have the strongest legs possible so I can be the fastest as I can possible skating, you know, in a straight line up and down the ice, like my overall speed, you know? Um, and it's, it's great to hear that everyone keeps coming on. It's really simple and consistent stuff. I feel like it's not, okay, here's the secret sauce. Here's the formula to be a youth sport or NCAA athlete or to be, you know, in the junior development leagues. Here's the, here's what you have to do. You do this and that'll get you in. There's, that will get you the secret handshake it's really based on the individual and what they specifically need. Like, uh, so w- what was like, you know, for yourself, what was something that was specific that you always had to keep working at to make sure that you were always at the top of your game? I think for me, my, my footwork um, was something that I, I constantly wanted to, to focus on. I was never the fastest player and, and you know, that's fine. I, I, it never really brought me down. Um, but for me, my footwork and, and just kind of making sure my agility was there um, is something that I, I focused on a lot, both in season and out of season in the summer. Um, and I, especially in girls hockey, I noticed that um, being able to, to work can break from everybody else. What was it like when you first got to Windsor? You know, you're leaving, you know, your minor hockey career. You're getting there now to your collegiate student-athlete career. What was the biggest changes that first month where you're just like, whoa, this is, this is a lot to take in? I think for me, it was getting used to a completely new team. Um, I, was, I was pretty shy growing up. Um, it took me a while to kind of fit in, especially when I made that transition from boys hockey to girls hockey. Um, and even uh, it took me a while to kind of get used to my teammates at the minor hockey level. Um, and then uh, once I was finally kind of used to them and, you know, we all got along and stuff like that, we all graduated. Um, so for me to kind of make that transition and go through it all over again was a little bit challenging because now you're, you know, dealing with girls that are coming from all over, all over the world, essentially. Uh, you know, I had teammates come from, from Norway. I had teammates come from out west, from Saskatchewan, just like different different parts of Canada, different areas of the world. Um, and then, you know, kind of interacting with them differently, um, you know, compared to what I was so used to growing up uh, with minor hockey. Essentially, no one to kind of look over you and say, hey, make sure you're going to classes, make sure you're eating, make sure you're doing all that kind of stuff. It's kind of easy to get lost. Um, but, uh, I was really fortunate to have great teammates. Um, I went to Windsor for five years. I really fell in love with the city. Uh, never knew where it was until I actually went there, but, uh, I, I actually did really fall in love with Windsor. Um, I know it kind of gets a bad rap for, uh, for, for being grungy or whatever it is, but it really is a very unique, uh, area to be in a very unique city, especially being so close to Detroit and by the water. But, um, I did fall in love with uh, w- with the city there, and and it did feel like home. It still does feel like my second home. But uh, I think once you make that transition and you do kind of make that big first move, you'll find that if you have a great team, which I was fortunate to have, they'll make it so much easier to to kind of fit in to make that transition. Um, and then you just become your your team is your second family, right? So you can rely on them for for a lot of things, no matter what's going on in your life. 
Um, but uh, you, you got to give it a chance. And for me, I'm glad I gave it a chance because I made so many great memories from there. Now, with your, your career there, you did the five years and your point production was, you know, in the top three of scoring pretty well every year. And you sustained that from your first year to your last year. Was that, was that something that was difficult to keep sustaining that kind of, you know, offensive output on your end? Or, you know, did you, by that time, did you kind of have a feel for what the league was and you were able to bring that consistency? Because one thing I've noticed with athletes who, who go into university, it's either the first half of their career was the best, and then they, for some reason they start to tail off at the end, or it's at the end where they picked it up. But you stayed consistent for five years, and that's really difficult to do. So what, what made you stay so consistent? I think for me, the, the biggest challenge for me was my mental game. Um, my first year in Windsor, I think it was my, it was my best year. Um, but as you go on year over year, your teammates change, your lines change, your assistant coaches may change or your coach may change, whatever the case may be. Um, so I think for me, the biggest part would be um, mentally making sure that, that I'm focused and that I'm always showing up give, or giving 100% every day. It's, it's easy to do workouts. It's easy to, to you know, get better and, and put in all that kind of work throughout the, throughout the summer and throughout the wintertime in the gym. But in terms of your actual mental focus and, and, and making sure you show up every game, every practice mentally, that is challenging. Um, I was fortunate enough to uh, to have a sports psychologist um, that was offered to to the entire team, and she came actually very often to uh, to do exercises with the team, and she worked with each player um, individually if they wanted. But I think the mental part of it plays a much bigger role now than it has ever before, um, and I don't think a lot of players focus too much on on the mental side of things. They you know they focus on okay how am I, how's my shot going to get better? How am I going to have a stronger stride? How am I going to be faster? How how am I going to do this do that? And not a lot of players focus too much on the mental side of things. But I tell you, it makes a very big difference, especially if you're going through through an injury. I uh, I sustained uh, I want to say I think three concussions in my five years at Windsor, um, and it made it pretty difficult to uh, to kind of I guess, get back onto the ice after that. Um, but uh, with with the sports psychologist kind of guiding me through and helping me throughout the process, it, it really, really made a big difference. Um, you know, when I was back initially, I was kind of scared to go into corners. I was scared to get hit. I was scared to, you know, receive another concussion. But, uh, you know, speaking with a sports psychologist and you know, doing exercises and stuff like that, she really did help me get through that, that period. And I think because of that, it really allowed me to kind of stay on pace with, uh, with what my game was, even as I was getting older and the league was getting better. Um, I think that was one thing that kind of allowed me to, to keep my focus and, and know what my abilities were, but also be able to, to bring a different level of my game as well. So, and, and that, that's another thing that's been brought up as well is the, you know, all the specialty things that are being brought into these programs now, Dan Church and I were talking about this uh, on his episode about how much support staff is involved in, you know, athletic teams now, especially in hockey. You know, you got your coaching staff, your management. If it's pro, you got your executive, um, you got your strength team, you got your medical staff, the trainer staff, you know, the equipment team, the psych, the sports psychologist, the video people, the goalie people, the shooters, the power, like it just, it never ends. And again, it's amazing. Like, you know, when it, that could be, you know, for your one thing, they had that offer to you, which helped you sustain that. And it's incredible how that can bring that kind of consistency in. So 
when you finish there, um, what, what's your mind at now? Because you've had this very like strong, consistent, you know, collegiate career. It's coming to an end. You're transitioning out. What, what happens then? What, what's, uh, what's the workforce, uh, life that's coming at, you know, how did you take that in the first uh, couple of years? Honestly, I didn't take it very well. It was, uh, it was extremely hard. Um, once I was finished, I, uh, so I had, I kind of had two options. Um, I know I didn't want to stop playing and for me it was very difficult um i uh i debated kind of entering the cw draft um and in and around the same time i had an opportunity to work in pittsburgh with uh, with the penguins um and so for me um i i, I couldn't decide what to do I, I was in kind of a little bit of limbo when i did graduate um and, and one thing that really bugged me was for me um, there was there was nothing there were there was no services or, or anything like that to help the athlete transition from playing at the university level regardless of how many years they played to post university where they're now entering the workforce um, and and I I've spoken with so many teammates as well they were really looking for that resource to to kind of guide them and help them because it really is like you know you you get hit in the face with with a ton of bricks. You don't know what to do. You go from spending your days at the rink every single day on the ice, basically six or almost seven times a week in the gym with your teammates and, and you're in such a good routine. And then all of a sudden that's all gone. Right. And so when you're in that kind of mentality, that athlete mentality, and all of a sudden that's taken away, it does kind of mess with you a little bit mentally. Um, and so one thing that, that I found, um, wasn't available was you know a resource to say hey are you transitioning from being an athlete in university or whatever the case is to the workforce let us help um, and so I definitely think you know whoever wants to hop on that bandwagon I haven't really seen any ideas for that if you want to start that go go ahead but um, I think that that is a resource that needs to be readily available for athletes um, but <clears throat> it, it did take me a little bit to make that transition I did decide to go to Pittsburgh and work with the Penguins I was there for close to a year uh, probably one of the best experiences of my life. It was the year they won uh, the uh, the cup, the 2016-17 year. Um, and I think if I was not given that opportunity um, and I was kind of just sitting in limbo in Toronto wondering what to do, I think it would have been really, really challenging. Um, but I did kind of find a love for working in sports. And then when I did come back to uh, to Toronto after my time in Pittsburgh, I uh, I spent I basically spent every single day up until this day working in sports i worked for the argos i worked for mlsc for a little bit um, and now i work for canlan i sports uh, as an event manager um, so i do feel you know kind of a sense of gratitude being able to stay connected to sports especially hockey and stay connected to the game uh, but not only that like like i love sharing my experiences with players and, and you know girls that are going through that right now whether they're making their way to university or they're kind of making that transition post-university into the workforce um, you know so it's, it's definitely a plus I do think we need to see more women in sports for sure um, but uh, it is very very rewarding to work in sports and I would say if anybody is currently in that transition period find something that that works for you if it's sports that's awesome um, you know go for it find a goal don't give up just because you're not playing hockey anymore doesn't mean that you can't stay involved in some sort of way that leads me to my next thing. It doesn't just stop there for you in a regular, you know, corporate type of lifestyle. You get into coaching and you get into being a scout at the university level. 
So, you know, how, how, how has that helped kind of bluster like the quality of life of still knowing that, Hey, I'm still in the game that I grew up playing. It's funny when I first graduated, um, I, I didn't think I wanted to coach. And I think I, I still had the mentality that I was a player. And sometimes I still do have that mentality when I coach. But uh, it took me a couple of years to kind of really get into coaching. I'll be going to my third year, um, my, my, a full-time um, uh, third year as, as a coach uh, this coming season, whenever we get started up again. But uh, it, it really does bring back that team sense. I know when you're in the corporate workforce or wherever you are, you got your nine to five type of job. You do work in a team environment, all that kind of stuff. But coaching is completely different. It, it brings me back to my Windsor years where, you know, we'd spend so many hours at the rink with the team and all those feelings that, that you kind of felt when you were in, when I was in Windsor, they kind of come back being a coach, right? Because you're spending all this time with the girls and you, you form relationships with them and, your form relationships with parents and stuff like that so it really does kind of bring back that team environment um and i am thankful for it because i that's the, that's the thing that's the one thing i miss most about about hockey was being involved in that team environment yeah it's it's you know like it, it's something that's so hard to even i went through that too where you know i went into being you know an entrepreneur and working by myself working for myself working by myself mm-hmm. And you're kind of isolated to that. And that's probably why I'm flourishing so well in self-isolation right now during COVID-19. But <laughs> it's, it's one of those things where I, I, I thought I was like, you know, I'm going to do this on my own and I'm going to, you know, take on the world and, you know, catch it by its tail and put it in my pocket. And then I realized mm-hmm. that I actually do a lot better when I do have some collaboration. It's like those masterminding right. sessions and everything like that. You get so much more, so much more done without a doubt. Have you know, in the couple of years that you've been coaching now, have you started to see it from the coach's <laughs> side from when you were a player? You're like, why the hell is the coach doing this? But now you're a coach. Are you kind of having like, okay, now I understand. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I've had, I've had so many moments like that. And, and I, like, I take a step back and I'm like, I, I hope I was not this much of a pain in the ass to my coach because I tell you like coaching's hard, man. Like it's, it's easy to show up every day. Um, and, and, you know, get along with the girls and be a great coach and all that kind of stuff, but to actually put in the work and, and to make sure you're prepared and, uh, and to hope that it translates on the ice. That's the tough part. Uh, being a player, you know, you, you put the work in the gym and all that kind of stuff and you, you show up and you make sure you, you get a job done. But being a coach, there's so many different aspects to it. There's things that I've learned as a coach that I had no idea as a player, right? And, and same thing as a scout. There's, there's, you see it a different way. You see the game a different way as a player, as a coach, and as a scout. And there's things I've learned as a scout that I didn't learn as a coach and I didn't learn as a player. So I'm very, um, you know, beneficial to kind of be, to have experiences in all three sides of it because it brings you different, it, it brings you a different point of view and a different perspective to the game. Um, and, and that's something I'm grateful for because I feel like I'm learning so much more as a coach and as a scout than I ever did as a player. Yeah, definitely. Even when I transitioned to coaching, I was, you know, kind of, you, you go with the, the mindset, I'm going to be a player's coach. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do everything right that my coaches didn't do. And then you start to get in those situations and you can see, oh, so that's why that was not done or that's why this was handled this way. And, and it is a, it is a, type of personal development thing where you're never going to be 
ranked as like the perfect coach or, or the best coach in the world, you just keep getting better and better with, with the experience there. Um, yep. You know, t- talking about the, the scouting side of it now, um, for you, like what kind of, what kind of, um, what's your style when it comes to scouting? Um, what, what are you looking for when it comes to players for, you know, I, I laugh when uh, coaches and parents, they think that that blostering the stat sheet is what's going to get you to notice. So if, if anything, if you lie on the stat sheet, I talked to Dan Lichterman, you can lie on the stat sheet all you want, but then when the scout watches you and realizes in the first five minutes, there's no way in hell you had that kind of season last year. Yeah. You're kind of up, uh, up shit's Creek. So what's, what's your approach when it comes to scouting? Um, I, so when I, when I get to the rink, I kind of just like to sit on my own away from the parents, you know, kind of away from all the noise and stuff like that, just so I can focus on, on the players that I'm looking at. Um, but one thing that, uh, that I take into consideration a lot is skating and play off the puck. Um, I find especially in girls hockey, if you can really excel in your skating, I think that's going to bring you to a completely different level compared to your teammates and the girls that you're, you're playing against. It's very hard to, to get a solid technique and stance in skating. I find in girls hockey, a lot of girls skate very upright and they don't, they don't skate lower to the ice. Um, if, if you were to compare a female skater to a male skater you can tell the difference right away it's one thing you know to to get stronger get a better shot all that kind of stuff but um, I think your skating um, especially if you're trying to make it to the university level is really what's going to kind of separate you from the rest of the competition your play off the puck is is huge as well Um, if you're in the right position if you know where the puck's going to go then I think that's going to make you an even better player not only that, but I think your your demeanor and your body language on the bench as well can really go a long way. Um, I coached a player on the on the midget double A team this year that she was very hard on herself, and that's awesome. That's good that you know you want to consistently push yourself to be better. But if she missed the net, if she didn't didn't get a good shot off, if she didn't score, if she didn't get the puck, she would come back onto the bench and and she would get mad. Um, and she would get mad at whether it was her teammates, whether it was herself, but her body language was not very positive. And, you know, I kept trying to tell her, I get it. You're frustrated. Don't let it show. Because the second you start to slump your shoulders, have poor body language on the bench, everyone's looking. You never know who's in the stands. But not only that, mentally, you kind of start to screw yourself. And I saw that a lot with her. She would get in her head mentally, but because her body language and, and just how hard she was on herself, she would never lift herself up. So I think those three things, skating, play off the puck, and your body language on the bench and even on the ice, I think will go a long way to getting yourself noticed. Yeah, and Spencer Anderson, who was in one of our earliest episodes, talked about um, control what you can as a player in the game. And you can control, you know, you can control your preparation, you know, you can control your emotions, you can control your mindset, all that stuff that's really going to basically make you not your worst enemy. Right. And, and self-sabotage yourself. And I think self-sabotagement happens way too much um, at the, at the, the minor sports levels. And, and he said, you know, once you can wrap your head around, this is what I'm in control of. That's where you'll start to see more progress. Kind of like in the world we're in right now, we're not in control of when businesses can open again. Yeah. But what we are in control of is our health, our well being. There's lots of stuff we can do, our education, all that. But a lot of even a lot of people will play victim to that. Oh, I, I can't work out. I don't have a gym to go to. 
Well, mm-hmm. at one point in time, there were there, no one did go to the gym. It was just, you know, maybe you <laughs> ran outside or push-ups, sit-ups, and jumping jacks, and you had one week of training camp like we talked about earlier, and that was it. So there are there is a ton of resources out there to to keep you know developing yourself in, in different in different ways you know and it's it's a, it's, a, it's funny you say that sorry to cut you off it's funny you say that because when I was growing up I never really had you know a, a home gym or a gym membership or anything like that I remember making a ladder out of pieces of wood and string. <laughs> and that that worked for me it, it did the job right and even like I did a lot of body weight exercises I would find you know kind of different things in and around my house to to, to use as weights um, so I think if if you're using that as an excuse you know I don't have a gym membership I don't have a gym I don't have weights anything like that you can always find something right be creative don't don't let the fact that you know you, you don't have those resources to limit you yeah and I, I remember you know, when I played, it was the backyard. I had a basic York weight set, the adjustable dumbbells, the adjustable bar, the bench. And I had two books. I had strength training anatomy edition one, and I had Arnold Schwarzenegger's encyclopedia bodybuilding. And that was it. (laughs) And, and it was really, you had to, you had to read and you had to understand, but you were, you didn't realize how much that you were learning about how the body works. Yep. There's so many different things that, that come in there. You're how much more intelligent you understand why certain things are happening. You start to, you know, pay more attention to what you're eating and start reading labels and all that stuff there. But you know, it's, it's, it's incredible how much a, a person can accomplish when they just put their mind to it and they push themselves out of that comfort zone. And that was something that I've been hearing a lot through a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. And once you do yeah. that, you know, you're, that's, that's a- again, you're going to be flourishing again. That's a great saying. It's a great saying. I think it's something that, that, you know, needs to be said a lot more and a lot of athletes really need to kind of like take that and run with it. Yeah. Well, one thing I started talking to some of my athletes is there's, if if you were treating this like business, for example, you know, a, a minor hockey player, any kind of athlete, you're in the marketplace, which is your sport. And the marketplace is known as reality. Now, how is it that in the business world, someone makes minimum wage $14, $15 at McDonald's, but then Jeff Bezos bring, makes his net worth is $120 billion. <laughs> And people say, okay, well, that's just not fair. That's just someone hoarding all that money and having this huge conglomerate. Well, no, it's because Amazon brings more value to the marketplace than the person who's the cashier at McDonald's, mm-hmm. right? So I tell my athletes, Everyone's saying, well, I want like, you know, I'm not getting the ice time. I want the power play. I want the penalty kill, but so-and-so is there. I said, okay, hold up. You have to look at the value that you bring to your marketplace, which is your team, your sport. Are you a goal scorer? No. Then why would you be on the power play? If you work on those skills to make yourself more valuable to the marketplace, then yeah, then those opportunities will start (laughs) to happen for you. But you can't just say, I just wish someone would give me a chance. No one in life is going to say, hey, I'm going to give you a chance and I'm going to put you on a million dollar salary. We're going to see what happens. (laughs) You got no experience and you've never proven yourself, but we're going to give you a million bucks a year to show, to demonstrate the value that you say that you have. You're going to fall flat on your face and be embarrassed and no one in their right mind would do that. And it goes the same way when it comes to sports at, at the higher levels. You have to find a way to bring more value. Sometimes it just could be you're going to be a, a lot quicker laterally 
and you're going to study the defensive side. I, I would be very impressed if a player came to me who I knew wasn't a goal scorer and that player said, you know, X, Y, and Z, I know they, they do all the, the point production, but I want to bring this defensive role to you. Here's where I can make the team better. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and athletes don't even think about that. They think, oh, well, no, if you're not the, 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 the cool kid on the team, the goal scorer, the point getter, no one's going to like you. But at the same time, there is that role there. And there, sometimes there's some teams that take a lot of penalties. That's a lot of ice available. That's a lot of marketplace for you to take, demonstrate your value in, right? Right, yeah. I, I found, um, especially at the minor level, everybody wants to be the goal scorer. Everybody wants to be on the power play. Everybody wants to be this. Everybody wants to do that. Everybody wants to play center. But like you said, a lot of people don't realize that, hey, if we're, if we're a team that takes a lot of penalties, how am I going to get on the PK? How am I going to get on the penalty kill? I want to be on the penalty kill, right? Look, look, at, look at what you're worth. Everybody, I think, because goal scorers and point producers are so glorified, um, and maybe that's the NHL's doing, you know, we have all these all-stars, uh, Crosby, Matthews, Martin, like, they get all the TV time because they're great players. They're fancy, they produce points, they produce great goals, all that kind of stuff. And so as minor hockey players, we watch that and we strive to be that. I don't remember the last time I heard someone say to me, hey, I want to be the next, uh, um, who, who's, who's a good enforcer in the NHL? I, I want to be the next grinder. I want to be the next Matt Martin who plays on, on the third or the fourth line. And he doesn't get that many minutes, but he still goes out there because his, his team relies on him. Face I want to be a specialist. great Exactly. I want to be, I, I want to be, maybe I don't want to be a point producer, but I want to be someone who gets put out in the last minute of a game because I can win a faceoff and I know my team's going to get it out. Or I, or I know that I'm going to be a winger that's going to get up to the point and block a shot. Right. And I think that the, it's kind of sad when you think about it, because there's a lot of players that are somewhat selling themselves short because they, they try so hard to be a player that they're not. And because of that, their skill that they're really good in, it lacks because, um, you know, they're focusing so hard on, on trying to be a point producer or trying to get on the power play. They're not doing what they're meant to do. We had a couple girls on the double A team and the, and the A team as well with the Topico that they tried so hard to be players that they weren't. And because of that, the stuff that we were sending them out there to do, they weren't doing, they were getting so far away from it. And, you know, you can try having conversations with players and telling them, Hey, you know, I understand you want to be a point getter, but you are really good at this. And as much as you want them to get it, at the end of the day, if they don't get it, that's on them, right? And, and as a coach, it's frustrating because you want to be able to get through to every player and, and, and you want to be able to, you know, put players out there so they, they can succeed. But at the end of the day, if, if a player doesn't want to succeed at what they're good at, there's only so much a coach can do, right? It makes it very difficult for, you know, for, for you to, to, to kind of get them out of that comfort zone. So as a player, obviously, it's really, really, you want to feel like you're contributing to a team. And you may think that by getting points, that's the way to contribute. But you got to look at what you're good at. If you're a fast player, maybe you're a solid winger that is more of a playmaker that's going to get the, that's going to get the puck to your center that's going to score goals, right? And, and vice versa. If you're better defensively, if you're a really, really strong big defenseman maybe you're best in front of the net and maybe you're a better stay-at-home defenseman than somebody who's more offensively that can rush the puck right so find what you're good at find what you're comfortable with and then work to improve on those things that way come power play time come pk time come 
last couple minutes of a game, your coach is going to put you out there because he or she relies on you and, and you're trustworthy. You know, my first year of coaching, I had a set, of, I had a, a winger, a winger set who I'd always put against the top uh, line on each team because they were very good skaters. They were smart positionally. They knew how to angle when it came into four checking, you know, they were really strong on the back check and, and getting back quick. And I just told them, I said, your role is to make their best players be really frustrated. Just mm-hmm. get in their way. Like, cause we already had, and, and, and they knew they weren't going to be 30, 40, 50 goal scores that season, not even 20. Um, you know, cause we weren't a very, we weren't a high scoring team to begin with. But I said, that's the best, that's going to help us the most because, and that's why we were such a strong, uh, we were like third best, we're third best in goals against in the entire league out of 18 teams, but we were 14th in goals for. So we had to play yeah. that way, but they bought into playing that way and they, they got a kick out of it because, you know, in the league, you know, everyone kind of knows everyone and they, they, they thrived off of knowing that they were frustrating the, the opponent. And I think that's something that players have to kind of realize too is, uh, and I tell this to parents, you know, when should my kid move up? When your kid is absolutely dominating. I mean, scoring at will. Yeah. Where it just doesn't make sense anymore, where it's really out of their element to, to be at that level and they have to move up. And uh, I've, I've had the debate too where, where athletes have said, you know, um, I want to make the jump. Okay, well, you know, how many – you do realize to be on that top team you're looking at, they're looking only for certain types of players to – they're going for a run. Um, you're on a top team, say at A. And you scored 20 goals. The first place team, the team that's going for the provincial title, probably you know isn't looking for for you. Mm-hmm. And I don't recommend you going on the the last place team just to say that you play double A and score five. Right. But they yeah. feel that making that jump, playing on the weaker team, scoring the five, is development. Where it's no, you were you're on your way. You know, like just just keep doing what you're doing. I've only had you can count on one hand how many athletes I've had who in their final uh, few years, they did a double a double a junior a grade nine, 10, 11, 12. Wow. And, and it worked for them. Yeah, it, it, it worked, but that's what they had to do. There was a ton of players who were their quote unquote friends around them who kept doing the, the bottom, <laughs> the bottom end teams that were just piecing teams together to say that they played at the highest level who never went anywhere, but they were wondering, well, how come that player did it? Well, that player took four years of mm-hmm. trying to be a top contributor on a strong program right. to get to that point. Not just, yep. not just anyone for, for that. But um, I know we're starting to run out of time here. So I'll, uh, I'll, I'll leave you with our last question of the day, which I ask to all of our more experienced guests. Um, <laughs> knowing what you know now, what would you tell your 16-year-old self so that she had the most advice necessary to be to move forward with a ton of more information that she could leverage and just you know be the best version of herself moving forward in in a perfect world, not this COVID nineteen mm-hmm. world that we're in today, but <laughs> your sixteen year old self knowing what you know now, what advice would you give her? I would I would say trust yourself, trust uh, trust your instincts, trust your gut feeling, um, because if you don't trust yourself, if you're always doubting yourself. Um, if you're always, you know, second guessing your choices, your decisions, what should you do? What should, what should you, where should you go? Stuff like that. I think you're, you're going to have some regrets in life. Um, I'm fortunate enough. I don't regret anything that I've, that I've done. 
Um, but if I were to go back and do it all over again, um, I would definitely say, you know, trust, trust the feeling that you're feeling, trust, trust the process, trust that you're going to do well. Um, and just take, take a second, take everything in, you know, don't, don't wish to grow up so fast. I was, I was always that person that was like, oh man, I wish I just a little bit older. Um, and now that I am older, you know, I kind of want to go back to my 16 year old self or go back to when I was in university because you, you kind of take for granted the experiences and the moments that, uh, that you go through and you don't really stop to think, am I ever going to have this experience or am I ever going to have this moment again? So trust, trust the process, trust that you, that you know what you're doing and just take a second, take everything in because you never know if you're going to get that experience again. Yeah. Trust yourself. Don't sell yourself short. And what you just said reminded me of what Scott Jacklin said on an early episode. You do you at the end of the day. A hundred percent focus on yourself and it'll all turn out. Okay. Awesome. I love it. Candace, I really appreciate you being on here. We'll definitely have you back on in the future. Stay well and healthy. And, uh, you know, make sure that dog that, uh, for everyone who can't see Candace's uh, dog was actually jumping up all over halfway through the episode. So we, we tried not to laugh, but we had to get that elephant out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was actually a little bit upset that this video wasn't going to be posted. He was trying to get his, uh, his screen time, but no, it's been awesome. Thanks for having me, Scott. Uh, and I look forward to doing it again. And then hopefully, uh, you and your family stay healthy throughout this. Absolutely. Thank you. This is Scott McDonald with the Real Experience Student Athlete Podcast, signing out.